Greetings, and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. Now, what are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we do our live shows, and we use the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we don't always have time to get around to all the live comments and questions that get sent in, but if you sent in one of those comments and questions and you tipped and supported the channel, I want to make sure that those questions get answered properly in a video. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to get caught up on all those questions that we still have outstanding. So let's not waste any time. And get right to it, shall we? The first one we're going to start to get caught up on is from the Nerd Errant, who writes, I think that dead naming, now, of course, dead naming is things come up a lot around here lately because of Elliot Page's transition from their former name of Ellen Page now to Elliot Page. I think that dead naming is, a, is more about a refusal to accept a person's new identity. I agree with that. And the most common expression of that is to never use that person's new name. You just want people to know, uh, you just want people to know whom to now call Elliot Page from now on. Yeah, so and I agree with you. Like that was something that became kind of an issue around here. So what happened for those of you who might have missed some of the the hubbub that happened was um, about six or seven hours after the artist formerly known as Ellen Page made the public announcement that they were now going by the name Elliot Page and now identified as he slash them. Right. About it was about six hours after that happened that we did our show. And a question came in regarding how do we think that was going to affect the character that Elliot Page plays on Umbrella Academy of Vanya, a cisgendered character in uh, Umbrella Academy. And so we discussed that topic and, you know, we ultimately said, hey, it's not going to change anything. I mean, people play characters. They are not just because Elliot no longer identifies as a cisgender female. That doesn't mean they cannot play a cisgendered female character on Umbrella Academy. However, because the um, the announcement had just been made, like just hours earlier, most of the people on the planet did not know that Elliot Page is the person we formerly knew as Ellen Page. Most people didn't know that. So when I made the title of that segment, I made sure to reference their old name in conjunction with their new name, just so people who saw the headline would know who we were talking about. Again, because this isn't something that happened weeks ago. It's something that happened literally hours earlier. And the vast majority of the planet did not know who it was we were talking about. Now, it caused a bit of a uh, a brush up around my channel because I got a number of very angry, insulting, upset emails from a number of people saying that it was insulting of me even to reference Elliot Page's former name, Ellen Page, in the title, even though I did it in conjunction with their new name, Elliot. Now, I decided normally when people get upset with something that I do, I just ignore them because I don't care, right? But I respect this community, and so I thought I need to make a video that does not apologize for using that name because I think it was the appropriate thing to do given the circumstances. It had only been hours since Elliot Page had made the announcement, but I thought, you know, I respect this community, so I want to make a video not to convince them to agree with me and not to apologize because I agree with what I did, but to make an explanation for them because I respect that community, and I thought they, I, they deserve an explanation as to why I did that. So I made a, a video about that. And, you know, in that video, I made certain statements. 
Number one, I believe everybody has the, the right to self-identify that from now on, this individual should be known as Elliot Page and all that kind of stuff. But I simply explained why I made the decision to, in the title of one video, reference the former name in conjunction with the new name. And I still stand by that. But again, I decided to make a video because I believe I respected that community. I wanted to at least give them an explanation as to why I made that decision. So I got to tell you, though. I have been overwhelmed uh, since I put that video out of the number of messages I've gotten from people who are in the LGBTQ community. And, and I have a sibling who's in that community, by the way. So I, I have a little bit of a dog in this hunt. But I've been overwhelmed by the number of messages uh, on Instagram and all the other different places that I get messages from people. Uh, who are a part of the LGBT community supporting what I said. So, you know, I mean, a lot of them were like, yeah, nobody knew that who Elliot Page was yet. It's perfectly fine that you put that in there. And some people wrote and say, you know, I still disagree that you put that in the title, but I totally get where you were coming from. And I totally, and, you know, I, I really was overwhelmed by the amount of support I got uh, for that. And again, I'm not trying to say anybody should agree with me or disagree with me on that, but that was the thing. But I agree with you, Nerd Aaron, that, you know, once you give it, a few days for the word to spread that Elliot Page and people say, who's Elliot Page is the artist we formerly knew as Ellen Page. Um, then, yeah, moving forward, all the other titles we'll ever have with Elliot Page will just say Elliot Page's name. I just thought under the current circumstances, for the sake of clarity and understanding for our viewers, I put that in the title and I stand by it. Uh, to this day, I stand by it. And I know some people aren't happy that I stand by it, but I do. And I'm not trying to convince anybody to agree with me because you know me, I never care if people agree with me, but not caring if people agree with me doesn't mean I don't respect the people that I'm discussing it with. So anyway, that's my thoughts on that. Thank you for sending that in, Nerd Aaron. I appreciate it, man. All right, next up, we've got Paul Cree who writes, hey, John, my question relates to the shrinking of the theatrical window and the chains that have signed up. This new deal says that new releases can go to premium VOD after 17 days of being in theater, but not regular streaming. You have said this is going to kill movie theaters. I have. Uh, but you have also said that consumers don't get premium VOD and don't want to pay $20, uh, for $20 for the same thing they do with streaming, for example, Mulan. So which is it? Consumers choose premium VOD and kill the theaters, or will the theaters be fine as long as no one uses uh, premium VOD? All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in, Paul. Um, you, are, you, you are looking at it in a two-dimensional way as opposed to a three-dimensional way. So for those of you who don't know what Paul is talking about, Paul brings up a, a great topic here. For those of you who don't know what Paul is talking about, so AMC Theaters and now Cinemark have signed on to an agreement with Universal Studios that Universal Studios gets to put movies in their theaters and just 17 days, depending on the circumstances, it can vary. But it opens the door that in 17 days, Universal can take that and put it out for premium VOD on streaming. Normally, historically, the theatrical window or the minimum amount of time that a studio had to wait from putting it in theaters to when they made it available on home video in any way, shape, or form was about 90 days. It was about three months, roughly. And Universal had made a deal with AMC Theaters and now Cinemark to shrink that to 17 days. And I said, well, that that's almost by itself. If that becomes adopted amongst all the studios, that's going to kill the movie theaters. Now, what Paul is also referencing to is that I don't believe – in an era we now live in where everything is going to subscription-based models, right? 
Everything's going to subscription-based models, and that's how consumers like to pay for things, is subscription-based models. We see that in with music, whether it's you know Spotify or Apple Music or whatever. We see that in music. We see it in our television. People pay for Netflix. They just want to pay a subscription price. We see it for their gyms. We see it for their food delivery service now. Just pay this much a month and have happy fresh meals delivered to your door. We've just been transitioning to the subscription-based model. People don't want to pay $35 to watch one movie one time in their house, especially when it's just going to end up on one of these streaming services in a couple of months. Generally, obviously some people will, but generally. So Paul seems to be saying to me, and I understand why, John, you're saying the PVOD model won't work, but you're also saying shrinking the theatrical window to 17 days before they can put it onto VOD is going to kill theaters. Which is it, man? Well, they're both true. Look, let me give me a second here to open this up because I think I should probably type this out. Hold a second. Give me one moment. Okay. Let's go over to what I call the campy classroom for a second here, shall we? Okay. Here's why it, it, it's, it's not just either or. There's a third dimension to this. So let's say for an argument's sake. One of the things that I learned working at AMC theaters, because I worked with AMC theaters for a number of years. One of the things that was the most shocking thing I found out, because I would often make trips out to the company headquarters in Kansas and sit down and meet with executives. And one of the things I was shocked about is how razor thin the margins are for movie theater chains. You guys have heard me talk about that razor thin margins, that the difference between how much money they make and how much money they actually need to make in order just to survive, the difference between that, how much they need to survive just to stay alive, and how much they actually make is actually very, very tiny gap. It's a very tiny gap. So tiny that even modest disruptions can literally sink a company. This is what I mean. Let's say we're just going to make up some, some numbers here and some names here just for the sake of the illustration, all right? Let's say... Uh, Bobby, Babby's. Let's say Bobby's uh, gas station theaters. Okay. Let's say we've got a, a theater chain called Bobby's gas station theaters. Okay. And Bobby's gas station theaters needs, uh, let's say, 100 million to survive. So Bobby's gas station movie theaters, they need to make $100 million that year. They're a small theater chain. They need to make $100 million that year just to keep their doors open, right? Just to survive. That is their break-even point. And on an annual basis, uh, their uh, revenue each year is, let's say, uh, I don't know. Let, let's say it's $105 million. Okay, so Bobby's Gas Station Theaters needs $100 million just to keep the lights on to break even. But fortunately for them, they make $105 million in revenue each year. So they've got that small 5%. They've got $5 million in profit, which is actually great. $5 million in profits. I would love to have $5 million in profits one year. That's fantastic. But notice what their margin is. Their margin is just $5 bucks. The difference between them keeping the lights on and making money and going out of business is only $5 million. That is the razor thin margin we're talking about. 
It's not like they were making $185 million in revenue that year. That would leave them $85 million of margin. That, that's fine. But they actually have a very razor thin margin. Okay. Now let's say Universal, Uni, decides they're going to take do a premium VODs agreement with Bobby's Gas Station Theaters uh, after 17 days. Okay. Now, my contention is that Universal cannot survive. They will not get enough customers with premium VOD, these $30 for one viewing of a movie rentals, right? I contend there's not enough customers are going to sign up for that in order to make their movies profitable. But some people will sign up for it. Some people will. It's not going to take away 100% of Bobby's Gas Station Theater's revenue. It's, it's not. People will still go to Bobby's Gas Station Revenue to, to see the movie, stuff like that. But some people won't. Some people are going to decide to not go to the movie theaters, and they're going to wait the extra 17 days to get it on Universal's premium VOD. Now, for argument's sake, let's say that's just 15%. Of people that do that, of of basically gases, uh, Bobby's gas station theaters revenue, just fifteen percent. It's not like it's eighty percent, not like a hundred. It's fifteen percent. Small number, certainly not enough to keep Universal PVOD business in business. Not enough. But what does that fifteen percent do? It moves uh, Bobby's gas station theaters, or BGST. It means Bobby's gas station theaters. Instead of $105 million, and let's just go on the whatever, uh, let's just go with the 15% on 100 round because it's probably more like 89 or whatever. But just for argument's sake, we're going to say it takes their revenue down to $85 million. That 15% is not enough for Universal to make a business out of. But now Bobby's gas station theaters only has revenue of 80, really closer to probably 87, 88, 89, but whatever. For argument's sake, just for, for numbers here, $85 million. $85 million, if we go back up to the top here, $85 million is not enough for Bobby's gas station theaters to keep their lights on. So no, Universal's PVOD scheme is not going to be enough to really do well for Universal but it's enough to do enough damage to Bobby's gas station theaters that it will take their razor thin margins and move them from 5 million in profit down to 15, 12 million dollars in losses and they can't keep their doors open. This is what I mean when I talk about the fact that these places, these theaters have razor thin margins. And that's when I say that when a company like Universal does something as disruptive as introduce a 17 day theatrical window before they can put out their PVOD, something that's not going to do good enough business for Universal at all, but it is going to do enough damage to hurt the movie theater chains. And because movie theater chains have such a razor thin margin, Instead of it just being the movie theater chains losing a couple of bucks, it's literally dif the difference between the movie theater chains being able to keep their doors open and having to shut down. And that's why I've said for years, movie theaters have razor thin margins and they got to be very careful. And because that's just the type of thing they're in. Now, again, these are all kind of made up numbers I'm giving. I just put that up there for illustration, for example. But anyway, Paul, that's what I mean. It's a great question, but that's what I mean when I say, no, the PVOD model will not work moving forward. We as a society have moved far too much and too strong. And I've already had a big head start. I'm moving towards a subscription-based model of entertainment. 
which is what the movie theaters were doing too. AMC A-List, Regal Unlimited, even the movie theaters themselves were moving to a subscription-based model. And it would have worked for them long-term, but, you know, COVID happened. But um, but it is going to do enough damage to sink the movie theater, so that's what I mean by that. Anyway, so there's that. Uh, all right, next up. Uh, we've got uh, another one from Paul Cree who writes, with studios moving to a direct consumer, direct to consumer model, I believe Warner Brothers is doing the correct thing, putting Wonder Woman 84 on its service. It will drive signups to HBO Max. On the other hand, I think that Disney would be foolish to put Black Widow on Disney Plus, and here's why. Uh, you and Rob have mentioned that people that already want to see Black Widow, if not all, almost all, will have already signed up. Uh, not as much because they haven't had any premium Marvel stuff on Disney Plus yet, but whatever. Uh, it has all the MCU uh, stuff there. Yeah, but old stuff that they've already seen. Um, it has all the MCU Plus uh, there. Is a big fan crossover with Star Wars to a degree. So most have already signed up for Mandalorian or WandaVision. I don't believe it will drive many signups, but I do believe it would be a very successful premium access film. Uh, the fans are already members of Disney Plus, will be desperate to watch this film on the day of release to avoid MCU spoilers. Uh, this is very different to Mulan, not really. Uh, a film I definitely want to watch. But what I can wait three months for, which ultimately is why that premium access failed. Uh, it's a remake, so no spoilers. Black Widow, on the other hand, has almost every fan uh, won't be able to won't be able to wait. OK, so I, I'll tell you why I disagree with you. I'll tell you why I disagree. Uh, and not that there's not merit to some of the things that you're saying. A couple things to keep in mind. Mulan, you you're underestimating how popular and how much people were looking forward to Mulan. The trailer for Mulan, when it came out, and, and number of trailer views is not the be-all and end-all for deciding or evaluating how popular an upcoming title is. It's not the be-all and end-all. But, but it's a, at least an interesting litmus test. The trailer for Mulan, I believe it was the fifth highest viewed trailer in history. In its first 24 hours release, generally speaking, trailers popularity is measured in their first 24 hours of release. And I believe it was the fifth largest ever. I should know because I actually have it in my documentary, Movie Trailers, A Love Story, available now on Vimeo On Demand and Amazon if you live in the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, but but I believe I, I might be wrong off by a couple of numbers, but I believe it was the number five most downloaded trailer in the first 24 hours in trailer history. Far more people watched and were anxious for that trailer than they were for the Black Widow trailer. There was a lot more interest globally for Mulan than there was for Black Widow, than there is for Black Widow. Disney tried to experiment with that $30 plus premium VOD thing, and it was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster. Uh, and they've learned a lot from it. And they may try it again, because that was just one film they tried it with, but it was an utter complete disaster. There are entire articles on Bloomberg and stuff like that to kind of break down how much of a disaster it really was. But it was an utter complete disaster for them. As far as Disney Plus, can it get new subscriptions? You got to remember, right now, Netflix has over 200 million subscribers worldwide, right? Disney Plus is looking to far exceed that. Do you know how many have signed up to Disney Plus right now? 73 million. Netflix has nearly triple the amount of subscribers right now that Disney Plus does. To think for a second that Disney Plus has anywhere near its capacity 
or has anywhere near its potential number of subscribers is naive. They know they have a lot more subscribers they could get and quickly. And they are moving everything towards direct to consumer. And you can't just look, here's the brilliance of a Bob Iger. You can't just look at how many more subscribers will Black Widow bring to Disney Plus today. It's not just about that number. It's about beginning a transition and its long-term impact. It's long-term impact. And that's what Disney is looking towards. Disney is looking towards making that move. And I believe on December 10th, and again, I don't know this for a fact. This is just what I believe. Okay. They very well may not, but I think they will. I believe on December 10th, they're going to be announcing the Black Widow is going to be going straight to uh, Disney+. Plus. They did it with Soul. I believe they'll do it with Black Widow. They might not. They may not. But I think... I do think they will. And it's not just going to be about how many new subscribers can Disney Plus can we get today with just Black Widow, but rather it's a long-term play saying we are starting, we're sending that signal into the air to all of our consumers. We are going all in on Disney Plus. So if you want all this great entertainment that we're going to be bringing, not just the stuff we've done previously historically, but all this new entertainment we're going to have moving forward, and there's still so many people that have not signed up for Disney Plus yet. This is their signal. And so it's about the long-term advantages to it. So again, I still think there's some validity in what it is you're saying, because I believe there's a possibility they don't take Black Widow straight to Disney Plus, but I believe they will. And, and those are the reasons why. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, uh, Paul. Next up, uh, Preston the Kryptonian writes, number one of two. Hey, John, I may be the only one on this, but I keep hearing you and others say that the Star Wars universe is shrinking. Well, I disagree. Uh, if new planets keep uh, getting added and uh, as more movies and shows keep getting made, like Jakku, Exegol, etc., and that there are new characters and creatures seemingly being added, then I don't see why it's shrinking. I understand that the new characters keep running into old ones, but I think it's necessary for storytelling and fan service. Thanks. There's a difference, though. Here's what I would say, Preston. There's a difference between something background decoration and let's face it exegol was background decora decoration jakku was background decoration uh frog lady new character but frog lady is just background decoration star wars keeps putting the focus on things we have already had right yeah, okay, yeah, there's, we got Luke again, and Luke is my favorite all-time Star Wars character, don't get me wrong, but, oh, look, we got to have Vader in it, and I love Vader, and I love Vader in Rogue One, but, you know, they had to make Vader a, a big prime centerpiece to that movie. Oh, look, we're going to have the same, the same uh, cantina that we had in the original Star Wars movie. Look, everybody, it's the same cantina. Oh, look, there's Bo-Katan, and oh, look, there's Ahsoka Tano. Oh, look, there's Boba Fett, and don't get me wrong, I have really enjoyed those episodes. I have. But it highlights once again for me that, like I said, the, the illustration I give all the time is you can tell how small of a town or big of a town you live in by when you walk outside your door, how long does it take you to bump into somebody you already know? If you live in a place like Los Angeles, you can go out and walk around for hours before you bump into somebody you actually know. You live in a small little town. You'll pro probably five minutes from when you walk outside your door, you're bumping into somebody. And Star Wars... As big of a Star Wars fan as I am, but Star Wars for years and years now has been constantly shrinking this galaxy. 
to every time you and I as fans step into the Star Wars galaxy, we don't even get one foot out the door before we're bumping into seven or eight characters we already know, right? And that's what I mean by them. Yeah, great. The background decoration like keeps changing. That's nice. But they're really not doing anything to expand the universe until Mandalorian. And then Mandalorian is is like, I feel like every week there's something from previous Star Wars iterations, but I have been enjoying it to this point. So anyway, there's that. But that's what I mean by that. And I stand by it. Star Wars continues to shrink the universe. And even all the new stuff they have coming out is just continuing to shrink the universe. What's the next show going to be? Obi-Wan. And don't get me wrong. I'm looking forward to it. And Deborah, I think it's Deborah Chow is directing it. Good Canadian girl directed a couple episodes, some of the best episodes of Mandalorian. She's directing it. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, so next, oh, so the next one is going to be Obi-Wan. Okay. And and then we're going to do a Boba Fett series. Okay. So another one that another character we already know. When are we going to start to expand the universe? And again, I don't want it to sound like I'm hating on all the new Star Wars stuff. I, for the most part, there are some some things I hate. But for the most part, I'm really enjoying the new Star Wars stuff. I just want to see them expanding the universe. That's just me, though. All right. Orange Hand writes, I should never apologize for a headline. I think there are exceptions uh, to that. Like if you went full clickbait and your headline was, I met Steven Spielberg today and you won't believe what happens next. And you simply got his autograph. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know what's funny, though? It brings up an interesting thing. One of the most misused terms on YouTube is clickbait. It is one of the most misused terms. Like I literally have put up stories where the title of the video is literally the facts of what happened in the story. I'm just going to make up a situation here. Um, Brad Pitt says he's says he's considering joining an MCU movie. Right. Okay. So let's say Brad Pitt was doing an interview and he said, yeah, I'm uh, right now. I'm very much considering joining, uh, joining a Marvel film. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm thinking really hard about that right now. Okay. So then I take that and I make it a title, Brad Pitt considering joining the MCU. Inevitably, somebody will come along and say, nice clickbait title. It's like, do you even know what clickbait is? Because Orange Hand, you just gave what you just wrote is the actual perfect example of what an actual clickbait title is. That is a clickbait title. Putting facts in a title is not. And I get so many people like I swear every day I make a title of something that is actually referencing the facts of what's going on. And every day before my show starts, somebody writes, oh, nice clickbait title. It's like, <laughs> anyway, you don't actually know. I feel like the dude from Three Amigos. Would you say there is a plethora? Oh, yes, there's a plethora. Do you know what a plethora is? I would hate to think that you're telling me it's a plethora if you don't actually know what a plethora is. You know, Three Amigos. Anyway, um, I feel I feel like that with people with cl- the term clickbait. <laughs> Right. It is one of the most overused uh, and horribly done. And I hate clickbait. I hate click. I hate, 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 hate clickbait. When you tease something in a title, but you don't actually say what the story is. And your example of that orange hand is absolutely perfect. All right. Uh, Carl Wolf, uh, a.k.a. Gandalf. Uh, Hugh uh, tips in $7. Thank you for that, Carl. And then Carl also writes, John and Robert. Robert's not here today, obviously. I'm a new subscriber. Well, thank you so much, Carl. Uh, the podcast is a breath of fresh air and escape. Enjoyed movie the movie trailer film. Oh, you watched my movie. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. Uh, trailers seem to use different angle shots than what's in the film. Is it me or does it seem that trailers put a shot of the film's ending? 
Is it me or does it seem that trailers put a shot of a film's ending? Well, I mean, sometimes, yeah. I mean, I can think of a couple, not often though. I, I personally think it's pretty rare, but there are some instances where I can think of a movie. Let's take The Amazing Spider-Man 2, for example. They literally put like one of the last shots of the movie in the trailer, right? Now, there was no way we could have known that that shot that was in the trailer was the last shot of the movie. So it, it wasn't so egregious per se, but it does happen from time to time. I actually don't think it happens as much as we may think it happens, but, uh, but yeah, I think it probably does happen from time to time. Okay. And next up, we've got Deshaun who writes, Hey John, huge fan of the show and you since back in the AMC days. Thank you so much. Now I know you talk a lot about the lack of content on Disney plus, but there are two documentaries on there called Howard and Marvel 616 that I know you would enjoy, especially Howard. Well, I've actually watched a bit of Marvel 616 and it's pretty interesting Here's the thing. There, whenever I talk about content on Disney Plus, I'm always very careful to specify that I'm talking about when I say Disney Plus has no content. I'm always very, very careful to specify no premium content. Premium like Hamilton. That was a premium piece of new content. Mandalorian is clearly a premium piece of content. The upcoming WandaVision is a premium piece of content. You know, we've gone basically a year where Disney, the only things is in terms of premium content that they put out was one season of Mandalorian and Hamilton in an entire year. So I'm not the biggest fan of Disney Plus right now. I, I'm just going to admit, like, I love Mandalorian. I love their Hamilton things. I, I like their library, but I'm not a huge fan of them right now because you look at all these other, like HBO Max puts out great premium brand new content all the time. So does Netflix, some more premium than others. But they have always put out tons of what I call filler content, like not premium, lower budgeted kind of stuff. And some of it is good, like um, Be Our Chef that Angela from The Office hosted, right? That's a, it's a nice little show, but it's not something I would subscribe to a service for. Shop Class with Justin Long. It's a nice little show, but it's not something I would subscribe to a service for. Uh, Marvel 616, it's a nice little Little thing, especially like the ones they did with the action figure stuff, right? The action figure photographer and stuff. It's a nice little thing, but not something I would sign up to a subscription service for. And I have no doubt there's probably a lot of other things on there that are these smaller, what I call filler content things that are probably pretty nice and pretty good. But, you know, HBO, since Disney Plus has launched, HBO's put out a lot of premium high quality content. And Disney, for the longest time, we're in Mandalorian season two now, but for almost a year, it was one season of Mandalorian, eight episodes of Mandalorian and Hamilton. And that was it. And that was it. But I'm sure they do have some other good lower quality things. It's just that I wouldn't sign up to Disney Plus or any subscription service just to have these, what I call filler content things. I mean, I'm really more into it for the premium content stuff, but hey, for other people, it may be different. For other consumers, they may be looking for something different. I can only speak for myself and what I'm kind of looking for and all that. Anyway, thanks for that, Deshaun. Next up, uh, art teacher movie fan. I like that. Writes, hello, John and Aaron. Uh, obviously, Aaron was not here on Thursday. Uh, Florence Pugh's uh, Yelena Bolova, uh, who, of course, is going to be a Black Widow, Black, Black Widow's sister, is reportedly appearing in Falcon and Winter Soldier and Hawkeye. I'm not sure if the 
I, I'm still not sure off the top of my head whether the Falcon Winter Soldier thing is true, but it's definitely true for Hawkeye. It might be true for Falcon Winter Soldier as well. Uh, Disney Plus show. Do you think Kevin Feige is putting together an edgier Marvel team, the Thunderbolts, complete with Deadpool? No, I don't think so. For those of you who don't know, Thunderbolts, well, there have been a couple of iterations of Thunderbolts, right? There was like one iteration in the comic books of Thunderbolts where I think Norman Osborn like ran Thunderbolts. And like there was this one iteration of it where they were literally the purpose of Thunderbolts was to kill Deadpool. And then there was another iteration of Thunderbolts where Deadpool was actually a part of the Thunderbolts. I think Red Hulk was in it as well. Anyway, this is a kind of messed up thing. Um, no, I don't think they're doing that. Now, is it possible they could do that? Sure. I mean, really, the, it's wide open. The possibilities are absolutely wide open right now. They could be doing a lot of different things. So is it possible? Sure. But the question was really, is it likely? And I'm going to guess it's pretty unlikely. I still don't think, I don't know, but I still don't think they're going to incorporate Deadpool into the overall MCU. I still think they're going to keep Deadpool kind of separate because he is very much a rated R character. And I don't think they're going to want to mess things around. So I, I mean, I don't know. We'll have to say, so for now, I'll say I don't think it's likely. That's what I'll, I'll say on that for now, our teacher. Good question, man. Getting into the Thunderbolt stuff. All right. Sam P writes. Hi, John. Firstly, I watched your movie on Prime and I thought it was top notch. Thank you so much for that, Sam. I appreciate that, dude. Thank you for checking out my movie. Um, also, if you could bring back any canceled TV show, regardless of popularity or quality, what would it be? Mine would be Fox's Lie to Me as I really enjoyed it. For me, it's actually not. It was certainly not a popular show. It only lasted one season and it got canceled after one season because not enough people checked it out. But it was called Awake. You've if you've watched my show for a very long, you've probably heard me talk about it before. I cannot remember the name of the lead actor. He played Malfoy's dad in um, in the Harry Potter movies. The the senior Malfoy, uh, Isaac. Is that his name? Something Isaac and Jason Isaac. Is it Jason Isaac? I'm going to go with Jason Isaac. Anyway, the show called Awake. You've probably heard me talk about it before, where he's a cop with a wife and a kid, with a wife and a son. He gets into a car accident where his wife dies and his son lives. And it's horrible. He goes to bed that night after losing his wife. And when he wakes up in the morning, the world he lives in is a world where his son died and his wife lived. And he's all confused. He thinks he's crazy. He goes to sleep that night, wakes up the next day, and he's back in that other world where his wife died and his son lives. So every time he goes to sleep and wakes up, he's in the alternate world. Day one, he's in the one where his wife's alive. Day two, he's in the one where his, his son's alive. Day three, back to his wife. Day four, back to his son. And he's trying to draw the connections. And I really like this show. I think B.D. Wong was like one of the his therapists in it. And in each world, he had a different therapist trying to help him through figuring this whole thing out. Anyway, Season one ends with him finally getting close to an answer of what is happening to him. How is this happening, right? And it had this big season one cliffhanger where he's like, I believe is walking through this door where he potentially is going to find out the answers to why is this happening to him? How is he jumping back and forth between these realities? And the show got canceled. And it never got a second season. And so for me, it's not my favorite show of all time or anything like that. 
but I just thought it was a really solid show and I never got to find out what happened. So Awake would be the show that I wish could get restarted. That's the one I would go for. All right. My Comic Planet writes, breaking news, John. This obviously came in the other day. Uh, Warner Brothers will be releasing all 2021 movies on HBO Max. Holy shit. What do you think about this news? So we covered this extensively on the show yesterday. Um, it's inevitable. If you guys saw me do a video a couple weeks ago about why Disney Plus, why Disney is going all in on Disney Plus. Um, you know, I said, this is also what, this is what's going to happen with Warner brothers with HBO max too. So not really all that surprised. If you told me this two months ago, I would have been shocked, like jaw on the floor, shocked. But you know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I said, this is probably what's going to happen. I didn't expect it to be this fast, but I said, this is what's going to happen with Warner brothers as well. They're also going to go completely all in on uh, direct to consumer, just like Disney is. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, if you want to see us talk more in depth about this, go check out the show that we did yesterday on Friday, December the 4th, the John Campus show episode there. And we talk at length about that. All right. James Argenta writes, I think Warner brothers move could lead them to lose Nolan and Nolan to sign a $500 million plus deal with another studio. That's not how it works. Anyway, also, do you know how the movie affects actors who get how the move will affect actors who get back end on movie profits like Alec Guinness did for Star Wars? Well, I mean, it's it's going to be tricky. Now, first of all, the thing with Nolan, they're not going to lose Nolan. Directors are not employees of a movie studio. They get hired for individual movies. Directors make movie by movie deals. Right. And if they're creators, they, they can sign first look deals and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there, there's not it's not like they have a oh, I'll sign that director to a five year contract. That's not how it works. You know, generally speaking, that's not how it works. So anyway, let, let's go on to the second part of your question, which is actually a really interesting question. What happens? Let's say we all know that Robert Downey Jr., when he signed on to play Iron Man, a big part of his deal was to take points, box office points on the movie. That I'll take X amount in salary, but I also want X amount percentage of the box office for the movie. That paid off real well for Robert Downey Jr. Because obviously the MCU made tons of money, and so the movies he appeared in, he made big, big bank. Uh, Alec Guinness did the same. A lot of times giving big actors points in the film. That allowed filmmakers to not blow their budget on getting an actor into their movie because so they can pay, pay an actor a little bit less than what they would normally pay the actor, but they would also give them points on the box office so that if the movie makes a lot of money, the actor could stand to make more money than they would have if they just signed a regular contract, right? There's been less and less of that happening though. And actually one of the big reasons why um, Fox's New Mutants had to be released in theaters because there was a number of those types of deals on the table with the talent involved in the film. It contractually had to go to theaters. And that's why even in the middle of the pandemic, they put new mutants out in theaters. It just had to, they had to satisfy that. But how many actors today actually get deals like that? I think studios saw Robert Downey Jr. Like Disney had to bleed money to Robert Downey Jr. because of those deals. And I think they've been more and more hesitant to sign those types of deals. They're only going to have to worry about this. If you're Warner Brothers, you only have to worry about this for movies that you already made and that you already have contracts with, with all the talent, and only for those contracts that specifically had points in the contracts. 
And how many of those exist? I'm not sure. It might be very, very few. But the reason it's really interesting, James, is because let's say for argument's sake that Timothy Chalamet uh, has points in his contract for doing Dune. I don't know that he does. I suspect he doesn't. But let's say for argument's sake he does. Then what Warner Brothers will have to do is they will have to negotiate with him and his representation and say, look, um, we will pay out X number of dollars for us to remove that clause from your contract. And they probably had to negotiate that out. And I suspect, again, I don't know, but I suspect that they literally probably had to do that with their legal team, with everybody who's got a movie coming out in 2021 that had that clause in their contract that they were going to get points on the back end. And they probably had to negotiate. Tell you what, let us remove that clause from the contract and we'll give you $5 million straight up. Let us remove that clause from your contract and we'll give you a two picture deal. Let us remove that thing from your, I mean, they're going to have to figure that out because they can't just throw it away. There'll be legal ramifications. So my guess is there's only a few, my guess is there's only a finite number of those cases they have to deal with, but there are at least some. And what they probably had to do is before making this announcement, they probably had to go in with their legal team and negotiate with those performers uh, representation. That's my guess at any way. We'll, we'll find out more and I'm sure we'll hear more details as we get closer and closer. All right. Captain Blue Plant Pants writes. Why didn't HBO Max roll out internationally before doing this? I know it's not as simple as that, but when they eventually do, the incentive to join, like Americans, will have gone, no? Or will they just stay U.S. only and keep syndication in other markets? Well, no, Captain Blue Pants, because, listen, just launching in every single territory is not as simple as it sounds, right? There are, every region has its own, like, um, licensing issues and rights issues that they have to deal with and they have to navigate. That's just a part of the game that they got to figure out and they have to participate in. So it's not just a matter of, we just decided we didn't want to roll out internationally. No, they're, they're trying to get worldwide. Believe me, they want to be worldwide. They're working towards it. But let's, let me pull a country just out of the air, Italy, right? I'm Italian. So let's put up, let's pull out Italy. Let's say, and I don't even know if HBO Max is in Italy right now, but let's say it's not. And let's say it doesn't launch in Italy until the beginning of 2022. So at the end of 2021. Well, yeah, the incentive just to join up to see the brand new Wonder Woman or the brand new Dune or the brand new Matrix 4 or the brand new whatever. Yeah, that's gone. But there will still be the incentive for all the new movies that are coming out in 2022. Because I know Warner Brothers said, oh, this is just for one year. Bull. Bull that this is just for one year. I, I, There's no way they don't extend this into 2020 and it becomes a permanent thing. Like they can say, oh, no, this is just a for one year. We're just going to do this. No, I don't believe that for a second. And they know it. They don't believe that. They're just they're just saying stuff, whatever. So anyway, so if you're in Italy and you don't have HBO Max yet, but it comes out in 2022, well, now your incentive is not going to be Matrix 4 and Dune. Your incentive is going to be Batman, the new uh, Matt Reeves Batman movie. Your incentive is going to be whatever the other 2022 movies are. So that's what their incentive kind of becomes. All right, let's move on here. Next up, MD writes, 
Why would Warner Brothers announce this without first seeing if Wonder Woman 84 has any success with this model? For example, imagine if Disney announced that their entire slate before Mulan is on premier access only, only to have it having to backtrack when it flopped. Why not wait and see first? And I'll tell you why. That's I see where you're going with that, MD, but I'll tell you why. Because they've already seen that this model works. It's called Netflix. They've already seen the direct-to-consumer model works. The premium VOD thing is a different thing altogether. What, what Disney tried with Mulan was a different beast altogether. But as far as straight-up premium video on demand, or not premium video on when it comes to straight-up direct-to-consumer subscription-based model stuff, they've already seen it works. It's called Hulu. It was called HBO before HBO Max. Uh, it was called Netflix. They've seen that the model works. Now that they have already decided that like Disney, they want to become a direct-to-consumer company, it's time to start doing things to start transitioning into that. Launching Wonder Woman is part of that transition. Making it a one-month-only thing, much like they're going to do with all the other things, engages the old marketing tricks of for limited time and while supplies last, right? It creates a sense of artificial urgency for the consumer to go, oh, I got to sign up for HBO Max. I'm going to watch Wonder Woman. And then, oh, I got to sign up for HBO Max because I got to watch Doom. And, oh, I got to sign up for HBO Max because I got to watch Matrix 4, right? It's the whole while supplies last for limited time only artificial urgency scheme. And it works. It's always worked in marketing. It has always worked. And it will work here. But yeah, the, it, again, this is not premium video on demand. It is direct-to-consumer model, and they already know the direct-to-consumer model works. And that's why they know that we don't have to wait around to see what the effects of Wonder Woman 84 are. We know this is the way things are going. Our whole community, our whole culture has been transitioning to a subscription-based model culture. From our food to our music to our wine of the month club to whatever, the whole our whole culture's transition to monthly subscription stuff. So they know this model works and they know that consumers engage in this model. So that's why it is much, much less risky of a proposition than say Disney in, in your scenario going all premium video access. Cause it's not a brand new thing. It's been done and tried and proven to work, unlike the, the premium access stuff. But I can totally see why you're asking that, MD. Totally can. All right. Uh, I run to places. I like that name, writes. Hey, Campia. Remember in 2019 when you stated that another film would, would someday beat Endgame's record? Looks like that record might be permanent. It might be. I mean, obviously in 2019, that was assuming that the theatrical model was still going to be around for another five to ten years. And then a pandemic hit. It completely, as Bob uh, Chapek, uh, the CEO of Disney, said, it accelerated their plans <laughs> to transitioning for a long, slow transition to a direct-to-consumer model. They just said, F it. We're just going to do it now. The, the pandemic just made them say, let's just pull the trigger on it now. But I still think there's a chance Endgame still gets beat. And only one movie can do it, and that's the original Avatar. The original Avatar is only microns behind um, uh, Endgame. Hold a second. So Endgame uh, box office. I just want to get the, the actual final box office. So Avengers made $2.79 billion. Avengers Endgame made $2.79 billion. 
Avatar also made $2.79 billion. Uh, but let's go one thing further down. Uh, Avengers Endgame made $2.797 billion. And Avatar made $2.791 billion. So there's like $60 million difference. There's like $60 million difference. That's less than an opening weekend, right? So what I have said for a long time, and even with all the craziness and the Armageddon going on with movie theaters, this could still happen. If movie theaters are still around, before Avatar 2 comes out, I've said this forever, I still believe it's what Disney will do. Disney, that which owns Avatar, Disney will do a re-release of the original Avatar before Avatar 2 comes out. They'll make worldwide $61 million, whatever, right? Just enough to pass Endgame. Why would they do that? Don't they? The Disney also owns Endgame. Why would they want just one movie of theirs to pass another movie of theirs? Here's why. So that when Avatar 2 is coming out, they can use that as a marketing thing. And do not underestimate how big and important to these corporations marketing angles are. They're huge to them. So if in promoting Avatar 2, Disney can say, come and see the sequel to the number one box office film of all time, the original Avatar. Believe me, they will do that. That's worth it to them. Now, a lot of this de depends on what kind of shape is the theatrical industry, how much of the theatrical industry is still in existence when all that happens. These all become question marks. But believe it, there is still one film that can beat uh, can retake uh, it, the number one spot, and that's the original Avatar. And I've said since 2000 and like since Endgame came out, I've been saying Avatar could still catch it again, and I believe that's what Disney will do. But we will, of course, have to wait and see. All right, uh, let's move on here. What's next? Ryan writes, "Hey John, so you were really dealing with house. So were you really dealing with house stuff, or secretly wiping up the tears off the floor like the rest of us when the news about the Warner Brothers movies going to streaming dropped? All joking aside, is this essentially the nail in the coffin for the movie theaters? Well, you got to remember, like I said a, a couple of weeks ago when I made that video about why Disney is going completely all in on Disney Plus. That the, that the theater industry was done. Look, I said for a long time, up to just a number of months ago, uh, maybe four or five months ago, I was still completely convinced that the theatrical model will still work. But as it became more and more apparent, and, and to me, there is nothing better than the, than the movie going experience. The movie going experience is the best thing in the world everything else and all your home stuff sucks. I'm sorry. You can think your home theater is great. I've got a great 4k HDR, 75 inch surround sound, everything, blah, blah. I got a great home video system, but it's shit compared to a real movie theater experience. Anyway, that being said, um, but as it started to become more and more apparent that particularly Disney was looking to accelerate as Bob Chapek said, their plans to moving to a direct-to-consumer model, the writing was on the wall. It's been on the wall for a while. And when you have a movie theater industry, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about how the margins for the movie theater industry is razor thin. When you have a movie theater industry with such razor thin margins, 
you know, a Wonder Woman 84 or a Soul or whatever, losing these potentially big box office movies from your movie theaters is enough to kill the system. It's enough to kill the industry. And so it's just become more and more apparent over the months. So when the HBO news dropped, it's like, okay, that's a little sooner than I thought, but it's, it is what was coming because I talked about it a few weeks earlier with the whole Disney plus thing. Um, and yes, it was for my house Ann and I, as long as nothing goes wrong, December 16th, 11 days from now, we close, we will have our close of escrow Ann and I are buying our first house. It's, it's ridiculous that, that I am an adult man and I've never bought a house, but I live in a place where buying a house is like unreasonably ridiculously expensive. So we finally said, you know what? We both work from home now. Let's move a little bit outside of LA because the prices of houses drops a lot when you move outside of LA. So we started looking about an hour outside of LA in Ann's hometown of Corona. That's right beside Riverside, California. It's just about an hour away from where we are right now, a little bit less than an hour. And like we could get twice the house there, like literally twice the house for like $250,000 less. The house we're buying right now is literally twice the size of a house we were looking at in North Hollywood. Um, and it's going to end up being about $250,000 less than we almost bought in North Hollywood. And it's twice as big of a house with a pool and an elevated deck that overlooks a golf course. <laughs> and it's going to be $250,000 cheaper all because we're willing to move about an hour outside of town. And anyway, so we are, we are just 11 days away from closing escrow. It looks like everything's going smoothly. Hope nothing goes wrong, but it looks like everything's going to work out. So I'm very excited about that. All right. Next up, we got Ahmed Z who writes, I'm quite annoyed at the fact that HBO Max plans to only keep their new blockbuster movies releases for one month on the platform. I wish they would just keep it on there to keep driving subs over time and to give me the chance to watch it over time. Here's the thing, Ahmed, and we talked about this the other day. Let me bring up the, the, the Campia classroom stuff again here. Um, it, it is the whole it's, it's for marketing. It's, it's completely for marketing. All right. It's absolutely for marketing because it allows them to give it's, it's, it allows them to give them this impression of, um, uh, while supplies last, uh, for a limited time, you know, it's, it's just the marketing thing, right? For a limited time while supplies last. And all this kind of stuff. There's also a psychology to it where it's like what we started to see, and we talked about this on the show the other day, what we started to see with, with some streaming services are, oh, okay, yeah, Mandalorian comes out. Okay, I'm going to subscribe while Mandalorian's on, and then I'll unsubscribe once it's done. Or, you know, I'll, I'll sign up for Netflix for when this show is out. Then once I've watched it, I'll unsubscribe till the next big show comes that I want to see, right? The other thing that this thing does, they've got 17 movies that are going to come out, have come out in 2021. I believe the number is 17. What this does is it allows them to take this whole model of while supplies last for a limited time and repeat it 17 times, Right? So now you're going to have somebody go, oh, well, I don't, I didn't care about all the other stuff on HBO Max, but oh my gosh, I'm really interested in uh, Matrix 4. So they signed up for Matrix 4. 
But now instead of just unsubscribing, it's like, well, they got this other new one coming out in like three weeks. I'll just, I'll just leave it because we're lazy, right? We, that's how gym memberships, that's how gyms stay in business. They got a thousand people to sign up for gym memberships, but only like 40 people actually come in and use their memberships on the regular basis. And the rest of us are just too lazy to cancel our memberships. Or we convince ourselves, no, I won't cancel my membership because I'll start going. I'll start going. But we never do. Right. So that's kind of the same thing with this. So it's actually really brilliant. And don't worry, because eventually it will then come back on HBO. Like Wonder Woman 84 is going to be available on HBO Max for HBO Max subscribers for one month. And then it'll go away. It'll be available in some theaters. It'll be available for some premium video and all that kind of stuff. But then it'll come back to HBO Max. And the same will be true of all the other ones, right? So if you're an HBO Max subscriber, don't worry. Wonder Woman 84 will come back. Uh, it's actually, I got to say, as a consumer, would I just prefer to just come on HBO Max and stay on HBO Max? Sure. But if I was an exec at HBO Max, this is the smarter way to do it. I, I got to give it to him. I think it's actually a pretty smart, a pretty smart and pretty shrewd move on their part, Ahmed. All right. Ahmed Zidi also writes, uh, it doesn't make sense either to me. LOL. If they are releasing it on HBO Max because most cinemas are closed, then why keep it there only for one month? Uh, LOL beats. Uh, beats me have no idea how they are thinking i would love a chance to watch space jam over many months but, but again you will and it's not they're not just doing this because theaters are closed they're doing it because they want to move to a subscription-based model they want to do this because like disney they want to become a direct-to-consumer company just like disney does and that's why disney's doing what they're doing so it's it's actually a, a fairly will it cost them yes it's going to cost them, but it's that's the price of business to transition to a direct-to-consumer model. So I'm not saying I love it, but it does make a lot of sense. And don't worry, you're going to be able to watch the movie when it comes out. And then you'll be able to watch other new stuff they put out while we wait for Wonder Woman 84 to come back. And it, then it'll come back and it'll be on HBO permanently. So don't worry about it. It'll, it'll be okay. All right. Just in time to chat rights. If you told me four years ago that we would be living in a world where two Jumanji movies can make a combined $1.7 billion, I would have laughed in your face. I adore these movies and feel like they are actually well-made, action-packed comedies. I love them. Well, I'll tell you what, Justin, I really like them too, particularly the first one with The Rock. But I mean, that's The Rock, right? That's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. You're Look, you're certifiably insane if you think those movies would have made a combined $1.7 billion. If it had somebody else other than Dwayne The Rock Johnson starring in it, it still would have made money. It still would have been profitable and they still would have been really good, but they just wouldn't. Have, it wouldn't have been that successful. Anyway, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is franchise Viagra. But listen, that first one was so fun. That first one with Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart um, was so Jack Black was so Karen Gillan was so entertaining. It was fun and exciting and it played on some great video game tropes and I love the characters and I love the interactions and it was just a lot of fun. The second one was also quite enjoyable. I didn't like the second one nearly as much as I liked the first one, but I still found it really enjoyable with the, the addition of Danny DeVito and Danny Glover. It was still quite enjoyable. I had a, I had a good time watching the second one. It just wasn't quite as good as the, the first one. They're going to do another one because, uh, you know, the last one didn't make as much money as the first one, but it still made a lot of money. So they're going to do another one and uh, we'll see how the quality holds up. But uh, I'm with you, Justin. I, I really quite enjoy those movies. I quite enjoy them a bit. All right. Uh, Chris, uh, 
Uh, Hobgood writes, Hey, John, since the Game Awards are on Thursday, man, I forgot they were coming up that soon, and Tom Holland is going to be a presenter, do you think this is where we will see the first trailer for the upcoming Uncharted movie? Uh, thank you so much for what you do. Keep it up. Mm. Maybe, hold on a second. When is it? Let me just double check something. Um, Uncharted movie released. I can't remember what the release date is. July 16th is the release date. July 16th. Then we're in December. So January, February, March, April, May, June. I mean, seven months is still a little ways out, but it's not, it's not unreasonable seven months out to put out your first little teaser. I would personally wait till like five months or something like that. But at an event like the Video Game Awards, and we're seven months out, and Uncharted is such a popular video game franchise. You know, I'll tell you what, I have not heard anything about them doing this, but that's actually a pretty good call. Uh, you know what? I'll go so far as to say, I'll give it a 51% chance. I actually think it's slightly likely. It just makes too much sense. Uncharted is a hugely popular video game franchise. This is the video game awards. It's not ridiculously too far away it's seven months uh yeah i say yes i say yes i haven't heard anything about it but chris i'm gonna say yes i think they will do this i think they will do this so i don't know let's find out all right guys last question today don't worry we still have more questions to get caught up on but we're going to do another companion video tomorrow so we will make sure we're all caught up by the time we do the next john campia show uh on monday but this will be the final one we do today we'll make another companion video tomorrow or else we're going to be going for like another hour and i don't think my voice can take it to be honest with you anyway patrick conway writes uh holy crap hawkeye cast is insane like four oscar nominees this has to be the most prestigious cast on disney plus I, I don't know that I would say that. Also, looking at the set photos, uh, looks like Baby Yoda is going to be uh, dethroned by that golden retriever. That's the cutest thing on Disney+. Plus. No, I else, no, it's, there ain't nothing is going to dethrone Baby Yoda. The only thing that can dethrone Baby Yoda is if they do a crossover with Guardians of the Galaxy and they have Baby Groot and Baby Yoda doing a dance together. You do that, you break all sorts of viewership records, but that's the only thing. But no, we talked about the Hawkeye cast on yesterday's John Campus show, especially look Florence Pugh. So show, having the black widow crossover is great. Confirming Haley Steinfeld is great, but it's the addition um, of Vera Farmiga. The addition of Vera Farmiga was uh, insane. She, again, she's an Academy award nominated actress. Um, she is just one of these actresses that brings it every single time. She is always a joy, whether she's doing drama, comedy, horror, whatever. She is a joy to watch act. She's just one of these actresses. And so her addition to it is super great. Like, I'm really, really excited about it. Um, again, Hawkeye is not the series that I'm most looking forward to. Like, I'm, I'm not going to lie about that. I'm, I'm, I'm still looking forward to watching it, but it's very low on the list out of all the Disney Plus series that are coming on my you know ranking of excitement level hawkeye is right down near the bottom but i'm still looking forward to seeing it but this cat all this casting list does make me more intrigued about it i gotta say it really does all right guys 
That'll do it for this installment of companion videos. Again, we're going to do another one tomorrow because we had a lot of questions to get caught up on, but that'll do it for now. Guys, thank you to everybody who sent in these questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel while you did it, and all of us here involved with the John Campy YouTube channel, thank you guys very, very much for that support. Don't forget, we're going to have another companion video tomorrow, and then the John Campy Show returns on Monday. Make sure you guys join us for that, and if you haven't done so already, why don't you take a second and click on that subscribe button, become subscriber to the John Campia YouTube channel. It'll keep you up to date on all the stuff that we've got going on here. All right, guys, that'll do it for me for now. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.